Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, hi, particularly if we've not met before. My name's Chris. I'm the Senior Minister at Andover Baptist Church. It's great to see you all, and a huge welcome to you if you're joining us online as well today. It's great to have you with us. We can see you uh, in the chat, which is great fun, so thanks for joining in with us that way as well. Um, So we're going to start a new series today. It's a series that I've been thinking about for like two or three months So I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a five-part series called This One Thing, about one thing that could change everything, that does change everything. Now, I noticed recently that a film had made its way onto the recommended movie list on, I can't remember honestly whether it was Netflix or Amazon Prime, but one of those recommended lists, a film had made its way onto that suggestion for me. It was an old film, actually, that I recognized from seeing it many years ago called Sliding Doors. Anybody seen that movie, Sliding Doors? Okay, there's like three people in the room, don't know about you online. Okay, so I'm going to have to explain the premise of this movie, right? So it stars Gwyneth Paltrow, and I think it was out in the 90s, I think. But anyway, the premise of the movie is she gets fired from a job, and she heads down to the underground, so she's going to catch a tube train in London. And as she's coming down the steps, and if you've been to London, you've been on the tube, you probably know this experience well, that you can see the train whilst you're still at the top of the steps, And you're thinking, if I run, will I make it or not? So she has that experience. So the train's there, the doors are opening, she runs down the steps, and then the movie splits into two parts. And we follow her life depending on whether she makes it onto the train or not, onto the tube or not. So in one half of the movie, she gets on, she makes it through the doors, the sliding doors, hence the movie title, the sliding doors shut, uh, are open and shut behind her. She gets on the tube train and then we see how her life unfolds from that point. The other half that runs in parallel, the doors close before she can get on the tube and then we follow what happens to her in her life when that happens. And they are two completely different things. Her life heads in two completely different directions. So this one moment, this one thing, whether she gets on the tube or not, changes everything. That's why the movie's called Sliding Doors. Now I can think of a few times in my life, and I suspect you can too, and some of you have been joining in on this with the chat this morning, that we can think of some times in our lives where one moment or one situation has changed the course and direction of our lives. Here's some for me, and if you've been around ABC at all, you've heard me speak about this before. That time when I was at that conference so many years ago, when I heard somebody speaking about the local church potentially having the potential to be the hope of the world. And that moment changed everything for me, because it's the first time I sensed God say, one day, I think I'm going to have you lead a church. Changed everything for me. That journey started Or I can think of another time, that meal that was hosted by a friend when I was 19 years of age. And I started talking for the first time to a young woman who was there called Ruth. And she would become my wife. One moment that changed everything. Hopefully for the better, certainly for the better for me. You'll have to ask her what she feels about that. Or that time when my boss said to me, would you be open to going and living in Washington, D.C.? to do this project that you've been doing here and take it into the rest of the company. And I said, yeah, I'd be open to it. And all that that followed from that moment, one moment that changed everything. I wonder if you can think 
about those kind of moments in your life. Maybe the day you met somebody special for the first time and life changed, or the day you applied for that job or saw that house. Or maybe it was something less positive, and one or two people were sharing about this on the chat this morning, uh, pre-service, a moment in life that was not so full of joy. The day you lost that special someone, the day you were called into the office and told, been told that your job was being made redundant, or the day you got that medical diagnosis that shattered your life and changed the direction of your life. A moment where everything changed. Well, what if I told you that there was something way more powerful than that, one thing that was way more powerful than that, that could change everything for you? What if I told you that this one thing was so powerful that it could release you and free you and liberate you? What if I told you this one thing would change your life now and for all of eternity? What if that one thing was available to all of us? What if it didn't matter whether we were here at ABC for the first time, whether we were new to church, whether we might say, look, I'm not sure I believe this God stuff. I'm just exploring this stuff. And by the way, you are so welcome with us if you're in that place. What if I told you this one thing was available to you? What if I told you this one thing was available, accessible to you, whether you've been here for years and years and years, whether you'd say, look, I've been a Christian. I've been a Jesus follower for years and years and years. But this thing is still accessible for you. You'd want that, wouldn't you? You'd want it if there was one thing that could do all of that. What if I told you even more so that that one thing would free you from the baggage that you are carrying around with you, that is weighing you down, the baggage maybe of shame or guilt or bitterness or resentment or anger or frustration? What if this one thing could free you from all of that? You'd want that, wouldn't you? Well, for the next five weeks, we're going to unpack this one thing that changes everything. And today is a kind of intro to the series. I've called my talk for today, The Most Powerful Thing. This is The Most Powerful Thing. And to help me kind of intro this series, I'm going to go back to a story from the life of Jesus. And it's a dinner party story, because Jesus has been invited to a dinner party. And we find this dinner party story in Luke's account of Jesus' life in the New Testament part of the Bible. And this story, I think, I'm making a big claim for this story here, okay, which you can disagree with me about, that's okay, but I'm going to go in big, right, start of the series. I think this story, perhaps more than any other story from the New Testament, encapsulates the heart of the Christian faith encapsulates this one thing that's more important than anything else. And not only does it encapsulate it, it gives us this beautiful picture of it, played out graphically. This beautiful, shocking, awe-inspiring, life-changing story of God is encapsulated in this one moment. And not only that, but the central passion of Jesus is encapsulated in this story. So we're in for a great ride this morning over the next 20 minutes or so. And if you're not a Christian, again, I just want to say to you, if you kind of go, I wish somebody could show me what the heart of the Christian faith was all about. Well, right here, right now, this story is going to show us just that. This is it. And on one level, 
Luke, who's writing down this story from the life of Jesus, on one level, he's portraying this kind of big picture, overarching message of the story of God and the message of Jesus. But at another level, Luke drills down into the story of three individual characters and through them shows us the story of God in vivid, three-dimensional reality. And I love, and by the way, this is one of the things that the Bible often does, that, that we have these, these stories that give us this overarching picture of the whole kind of story of God played out in real people, real individual people with real lives and real issues and real challenges and all that kind of stuff. It's one of the other reasons, I mean, there's so many, but one of the other reasons I love the Bible and how it's written for us. Well, what we'll see in this story is that all three of these characters act outrageously. They all act outrageously. They do things that would have like been really shocking. Now, let's just get a bit of context before we dive in. Jesus has been traveling and teaching people about God and about God's kingdom. He's been stirring things up, and particularly some of the religious leaders and power brokers of the day, they don't really like what he's saying, especially this group of people called the Pharisees, these religious leaders, and they're kind of trying to trick Jesus or get after Jesus a little bit. They're nervous about him, so they're trying to trap him. But some of them actually are also intrigued by him. And they're perhaps prepared to give Jesus a hearing. And it may be that the Pharisaical character, the Pharisee we see in our story today, may have been one of those people who was more intrigued by Jesus than he was scared by him. So he invites Jesus and a bunch of other people over for a dinner party. But during this dinner, something rather unusual happens. And through it, Jesus is going to reveal to us this one thing that has the power to change everything. And we're going to find the story in Luke's account of Jesus' life, as I said, in chapter 7. So if you're um, online or you're in the room and you've got like a Bible app on your phone, you might want to look that up if you want to. If you've got a physical Bible, you might want to open that to Luke chapter 7. Or it's all going to appear on here. So you can follow along uh, here if you'd rather do that as well. So Luke chapter 7, I'm going to start at verse 36. And it says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So here, we're just going to pause here for a second. Here, we meet the three central characters in our story. Jesus, the Pharisee, who we'll later find out is called Simon, and an unnamed woman. Now, Jesus has accepted this invitation to dinner, even though he knows that some of the Pharisees oppose him. Maybe it's just possible that Jesus still thinks he can win them over. So he goes to the dinner. Now, as was common in the ancient world where this comes from, the guests were reclining on cushions beside the table. And because Jesus was a public figure, the doors would have been left open. And actually, this wasn't just when a, a public figure was over, but could be most of the time, actually. The doors to houses and so on were often left open, and people could kind of wander in. And when there was somebody special there, when there was a special guest, particularly a public figure like Jesus, people would have just wandered in to hear him. Can you imagine this, by the way? I think this is a great picture. You're having dinner in your house, but you've left all the doors open, and people just kind of wander in and stand. They wouldn't have come into the dinner 
because they weren't invited. They just stood around the edges of the room. I like that. Slightly weird, though. <laughs> Somebody just walked in. Anyway, they're standing around the edges of the room, and, and particularly because it was Jesus, and they, people would have known him, and they would have known there was an interesting conversation going to be taking place. People would have just wandered in and stood around the outside walls of the room, and they would have listened to the conversation that was taking place and hear the discussion. And this woman would have heard of Jesus. She'd have known that he was going to be there. But what's interesting, and here's the first scandalous thing she does, the first of a few actually, she arrives, she doesn't stand or sit around the edge of the room. She comes right in and stands right next to Jesus. So she's already right in the heart of everything. She stands next to Jesus. Do you know, there was something about Jesus that people were attracted to. Regular people, not religious people, regular people found something intriguing about him. Even people that would have been branded, as this woman has been branded, sinners. Which would pretty much be everybody, right? I mean, everybody's messed up sometimes. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's fallen short of where they would like to be and where God would like them to be. And and that would, by the way, include all of us. So we're in this group with this lady, this woman, We've all messed up. We've all sinned. But even those who everybody else looked at and actually pointed out that they were sinners, even those people wanted to be near Jesus, wanted to be with Jesus. And we don't know her story, but people knew her and they branded her already. They judged her already. But Jesus' approach to people like this, people just like you and me, sinners, was in stark contrast to that of the Pharisees. Jesus welcomed them, he liked them, and they liked him. Where the Pharisees wanted to hold all the sinners at arm's length, Jesus stretched out his arms to welcome them. Now the presence of her tears and her being at the feet of Jesus indicates to us some things about her. She was humble. She'd come in and stood at the feet of Jesus. She was grateful, and she had a boldness of faith to come into a place where she knew everybody else was judging her. She was bold. And she starts by standing close to Jesus and weeping, but then her tears start to splash onto Jesus' feet. And she tries to make things better. Have you ever done this, by the way, where something embarrassing is happening to you? You're doing something embarrassing, and you try to make it better, but you just make it worse. So she's trying, like tears on Jesus' feet. This is pretty embarrassing. Everybody's watching. So she tries to make it better by letting down her hair to wipe the tears from Jesus' feet. As soon as she starts letting down her hair, the whole place would have gasped, right? Because this is not something that you did in that culture. You did not let your hair down. So here's the next outrageous thing that this woman has done. But she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair, she kisses them, and she pours perfume on them. I mean, this is all scandalous stuff. But the presence of the perfume indicates that she was treating Jesus as an important visitor. Now, let's look at the reaction that all of this caused when we go on to verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. 
So this action is shocking. So not only is the, the woman's actions shocking, but now Jesus' actions are outrageous and scandalous because he should have been sending her away. And they're saying, look, if this man really is something special, he would know about this woman and he would not want anything to do with her. But this shocked reaction that they're having to Jesus' outrageous desire to welcome the woman and to have arms open to her, their reaction gives a real opportunity for Jesus to teach them something really important. So he tells them a story. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him, owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So here we've got a two-month debt with the average wages that were earned in this day, a two-month debt versus a 20-month debt. And unlike most debt collectors who would have ramped up the heat to get this money back, this debt collector forgives both debts. He cancels them. And Jesus asks a pretty straightforward question, but it leads them all to the heart of Jesus's relational ethic. Who loves him more? Simon, of course, replies, well, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And he would be right. But you see, Simon and the Pharisees and those like him They tended to dwell on a sinner's past record. What Jesus is doing here is Jesus is saying, I prefer to think about the potential that love and forgiveness possess to change a person's heart and to change their life. And now we're getting close to this one thing that can change everything. Now we're getting close. Let's read on a little bit more in the story. Then he turned toward the woman. This is Jesus. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her hair, uh, sorry, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Now we see the shocking behavior of Simon, the Pharisee. Because you see, in these days, in this culture, where everybody walked around on dusty roads with kind of open, sandaly-type shoes, their their feet got covered in dirt and dust, they got sweaty from the heat. When you had somebody into your home, it was normal to have somebody wash their feet and maybe to put a little oil on their sweaty heads to kind of clean people up a bit. But that hadn't happened for Jesus. Simon hadn't done any of that, and that was shocking. He's behaved outrageously. But then the woman arrives... And she went way further than simply washing Jesus' feet or giving him a greeting kiss on the cheek. She washes his feet with her tears and kisses his feet and anoints his feet with perfume. And Jesus is saying, here we go, Simon, look. Learn from this woman. Learn from this woman what it means to be humble, grateful, and have boldness of faith. 
And he saw, and we can see, because Luke wrote this down for us, we can see the power of faith, humility, and gratitude, and the transforming work of forgiveness in someone's life. Let's just read on. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Now we've got more scandal coming from Jesus because only, they believed, only God can forgive sins. So if Jesus is doing the forgiving, Jesus is saying, I am God. Okay, now we're off to the races. I mean, this is shocking. Only God could forgive sins. So Jesus is making a claim here that he is God. And then one final phrase, one final verse from this story this morning. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this is really important. And Jesus' final remark here reveals a really critical sequence. First, there is an offer of forgiveness from God. Then there is the faith that saves. And then there is that faith evidencing itself in love. And this is why Jesus didn't distance himself from people like this woman. It's why Jesus spent time with, in quotes, sinners. It's why he longs to draw close to you and me, sinners. Because all the time there is this potential for divine transformation through this one thing, forgiveness. And when it's received with faith, it changes everything. And because of that, and because Jesus knew that, and he knew the power of forgiveness to transform a life, it compelled him to reach out and engage with people so that they would know it. And it should, by the way, compel us to draw us close to him too. So I, I love this story. And I love the way Luke tells it. I think it's amazing, this picture that, that Luke paints for us. And on the one hand, we've got this outrageous adoration of this woman. And on the other hand, we've got the outrageous rudeness of Simon, the host. And in the middle of that, we've got Jesus keeping his calm, but being equally outrageous. Something that would have been considered shocking. He forgives the sins of the one who asks for it and the one who has the faith to receive it. And I love that this story encapsulates in such vivid imagery the message of Jesus. This is a picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And forgiveness is the key. Forgiveness is the one thing that changes everything. And there's beautiful scene teaches us about forgiveness. It teaches us that forgiveness is freely available from God, freely and unconditionally given by God. It teaches us too that we all need it. From the Pharisee to the sinner, we all need it. It teaches us that to receive this life-transforming power of forgiveness, all we need is humility, gratitude, and faith as exemplified in this woman. It teaches us that forgiveness sets us free. It sets us free from the baggage that we would carry around with us. And it teaches us that those who have been forgiven should grow in love. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. It should inspire us 
this gift of forgiveness to grow in our capacity for love and forgiveness for others. And by the way, we're going to unpack that a lot more through this series as we make our way through it. This one thing mustn't just transform our relationship with God, it must transform our relationships with others as we forgive those who have hurt us just as we have been forgiven when we have hurt God by our turning away from him. But to receive this one thing, this is such good news, to receive this one thing, all we need is a little humility, a lot of gratitude, and some boldness of faith. It's what this woman teaches us. It's how she's received by Jesus and what that teaches us. All we need is a little humility. The humility to say, I recognize I'm carrying around the baggage of my sin. That I've fallen way short of what I would want for myself and certainly what God would want for me. There are so many things that would separate me from a holy God So many things I've done that I shouldn't and that I haven't done that I should. A little humility to recognize that I'm falling short. And then a lot of gratitude. A lot of thankfulness to God that he won't leave us in that condition. But instead would reach out as evidenced by his son, the sending of his son. A lot of gratitude that would either literally or metaphorically weep with thankfulness at who God is and what God has done. And then a boldness of faith to approach Jesus and say, yes, yes, I receive the forgiveness that you reach out with to me. A little humility, a lot of gratitude and a boldness of faith. And when those things, when we're prepared to do those things, this forgiveness that is on free offer from God, we can receive it. And it changes everything. Because now you're free. Now there's no guilt or shame. There's no baggage of all of that. You're free. And you're free to grow in love for others too. This is the offer from God. This is what's at the heart of the Christian faith. This is why this story encapsulates it so beautifully for us. So let's pray. Let's pray in the room. Let's pray online. Let's pray, and we're going to pray those three things, humility, gratitude, and faith. Lord God, we start with humility, and we say we are sorry for our sin. We're sorry for where we have fallen short We're sorry for the things we've done that we shouldn't, the messes that we've made, the people that we've hurt. And we're sorry that we have hurt you by turning our backs on you. But we are so thankful that you don't leave us in that place. We're so thankful that you sent your son to walk around on earth, to show us in these stories, in these encounters, what you're like and who you are. We're so grateful that Jesus went to the cross to deal with sin and shame once and for all, that Jesus went to the cross, died and rose again to show that sin has no power in your economy, that sin has no power in your kingdom. Sin need have no power over us. 
And Lord God, we approach you today with a boldness of faith to say whether for the first time or for the hundredth time or the thousandth time, we receive your forgiveness. And we thank you that it sets us free. Amen.